Dirt with Gary Pickering, South Carolina's only podcast dedicated to the real estate agent's craft. And greetings and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dish and Dirt. I am your often opinionated but rarely wrong host, Gary Pickering, and I'm coming to you from Blair Cato in beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina. So last week, we did episode one of our two-part series with the seven-figure agent from Toronto who specializes in taking five-figure agents to six figures and six-figure agents to seven figures. And Jess last week gave you six real-world real estate hacks that you could use in your business today, real easy things to implement that should make a guaranteed improvement in how you get business. Well, in this week's episode, Jess Linneville, the Listings Lab, is going to give you the six things that real estate agents are doing wrong every day in social media. And you're probably now sitting there going, why does she know so much about social media? Well, first of all, she only sold $300 million in five years using social media. Secondly, there's this little tiny magazine called Forbes Magazine. You might have heard of it. It actually will surprise you that Forbes Magazine has a bigger following than this silly little show, Dish and Dirt. I know that's mind-blowing, but it's true. Sad to me, but true. And that magazine thought so much of her that they did a full article on her and her six things that real estate agents are doing wrong. Thirdly, from what I see in your social media and what I see out there in the marketplace, I think most agents would have to agree she brings up several very, very strong points. And that's just the tip of the iceberg today because Jess is going to give you some more free real estate hacks. In fact, these real estate hacks, in my opinion, are even better than the ones last week. So you might want to just write some of these down because they're that good. Now, also in today's show, we're going to have another one of those Gary's Good News Only and even a new As Gary Sees It, bringing that back this week for you. So don't forget to like us, share us, and subscribe to us. And I also want to give a shout out to the guys up at Keller Williams Drive in Greenville who started sharing us throughout the office this past couple of weeks. So welcome, guys, and I hope you guys will continue to listen and share us with other agents in Greenville as well. And now we're going to join back into our conversation that we had last week with Jess. So here's Jess. Stranger to client. What a great concept. Nine strategic points I understand that you have. And I've heard mm-hmm. you talk about those before, and you talk about how they fit into three buckets. Let's talk about that for a little while. Yeah, if we want to simplify those. So basically, there's nine things that you need to hit in order for someone to say yes to you. And this is literally just like it's it's like a human checkbox of these are the things that people need to see in order to feel comfortable enough and confident in order to say yes to you. And so, you know, if we simplify it, we can narrow it down into three buckets, authority content, personal content, and social proof. So authority content is really just, you know, positioning yourself as an authority, credibility, things like that. So it's going to be answering questions that you get on a regular basis. It's going to be pain problem content. It's going to be talking about your own signature process or your point of differentiation in the market. What do you do that's not the same as everyone else? How do you create a solution to the problems that your target demographic has? So that's authority content. And are we doing this on social media? How are we it, getting this out? Yeah. So it can be done organically on social media. It can also be done through retargeting on in with paid traffic, right? But again, the message has to be tested and it has to work before you put money behind it. Do not just throw a bunch of money at the wall and hope that something sticks and something's going to come back at you. Test all of this organically. Make sure that your messaging's right. Make sure you've interviewed and done your market research so that you're constantly sure that your that your message is resonating. When you start getting the, the the feedback of I've been reading your content and I feel like you're in my brain, that's when you know that it's right and that's when you can take those next steps 
and you can actually put some money and some fuel on the fire. Now, are we talking about, so we're talking about written content as well as video content. That's right. So I, I'm a big believer that you should be in and around 50-50 because there are going to be people who don't watch videos. There are also going to be people who don't read content. So I think it's important that you cater to both and you have about 50-50 in terms of your content your content distribution, but it, you should also make sure that your videos are nice and short, right? Nobody like nowadays, unfortunately, just like you, you, you know, you and I were talking about, like, you don't do an hour and a half long podcast because people just don't have the capacity have to absorb all of that. Have time. Nobody has that time, right? And so it's, it's the same thing when someone's scrolling on social media, you have somewhere between 15 minutes, 15 seconds and a minute. And so you've got to be able to get the point across and be yourself. And, 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 you know, it's, it's really about efficiency when it comes down to video content. And are we talking about posting this stuff every single day, 10 times a day? What are we talking about when we're posting? I think once a day is a good, is a good place to start. Um, even five days a week, right now, but the, the key to this is consistency and frequency. Again, the other reason why the paid traffic becomes easier is because you don't have to do it manually. You don't have to be creating content all the time. You put some, someone enters your funnel and then the retargeting happens in an automated way and you can become omnipresent to that person without having to do anything once it's, once it's set up. So, so that's the authority content. Then your personal content is going to be things like, you know, personal beliefs, personal philosophy, personal story. And again, this is the, the, the human to human parts of this. So things, you know, stories that you, stories of your past, you know, things that have happened in your day to day, people are fascinated with other people's lives, right? There's a reason why we watch reality TV. There's a reason why, you know, everybody, everybody like, you know, influencers do so well. It's this idea that people want the curtain pulled back. They want to see who you are. They want to know the names of your kids or your pets. There's an element of, you know, feeling like they know you, which will actually create more business. You want someone to feel comfortable enough to come up to you in a grocery store and say, hey, like, I feel like I know you, right? And have that conversation because that approachability will lead to business. Just people will feel more comfortable and it will lead to trust. Your third one is going to be social proof. So social we move, proof. But before we go yeah, there, yeah, go I do want to ask you some questions about personal. Go for it. What's off limits in personal? I think that we get very yeah, yeah, yeah. on that line a lot. What shouldn't we be talking about? So uh, my rule of thumb is don't talk about your mess until you've cleaned it up. Okay. I don't want to know that you're having, that you're like in the middle of like a, like a breakdown, right? That's not, that's going to hurt your business. But talking about struggles that you've had, that you've overcome, that, you have lessons that you've learned that you can that you can share with people. That's valuable. I see a lot of agents put a lot of stuff in their posts that really aren't directed to clients. It's almost like they're whining about how hard it is to be a real estate agent, which I think other real oh estate gosh, agents relate yes. to, but it doesn't do anything for getting business. I don't think that's really good in a profession. Agreed. Agreed. You never complained about the industry. You never complain about other agents. You know, at the end of the day, ninety percent of agents are creating content for other agents. Right. There's a reason why, like the memes that they're sharing, the stuff that they're talking about, it's not geared towards your ideal client. And the clients you know, don't even relate to it. They don't understand what you're no, talking about. No, exactly. And so the filter that you, before you ever push post, before you ever pe create a piece of content, you have to ask yourself, who is this for? 
And what do I want them to get from this? Like, what is the value that they're going to get from taking the 15 to one minute or, or taking half, you know, 30 seconds to read this post? What is, what's the purpose of it? Who is this for? Right. And when you put that filter in, and I have people in my programs too that, you know, I, you know, I'll have to screenshot something and send them to them and basically just say, uh, 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 <laughs> you've, you've, You've missed the mark here. This is for agents. This is, this isn't for your ideal clients. And the hardest part of this is just if it resonates with you as an agent, save it, screenshot it, keep it in your camera roll. Don't share it. It's not for your audience. How about the just sold? I, I see that all the Drives time. Drives me like nuts. 90% of what agents Drives me nuts. Work. Just yeah. listed, just sold don't work. Just showing people that you have business to get more business. I think the way that people think about it is that it's a good it's a good way of having social proof. Social proof is our third content bucket. So it's like a, you 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 segued that so perfectly for right. me. Right, let's roll <laughs> but, with that. Yeah. So your third content bucket is social proof. A lot of agents think that just listed, just sold, under contract, like those kinds of pieces of content are social proof, but it's not. Social proof is case studies, testimonials, and PR. So, you know, if you're on a podcast, if you've been interviewed for an article in something, showing having a third party position you as an authority, fantastic social proof. The other thing is are are the other things are going to be testimonials and case studies. Case studies are my favorite. Stories are 22 times more memorable than facts. So, if you can walk someone who is in the same shoes as one of your clients through that journey, they're going to resonate with it. They're going to see themselves in that same position and they're going to see you as the correct person to guide them through that life transition. It's HGTV. We are all obsessed with something on HGTV and HGTV is an entire network of case studies, whether you want to love it or list it or live the Caribbean life or whatever it is, right? We get addicted to these certain shows because of the stories behind them. And so you can do the same thing. Right. You do the same thing. And what you're doing is you're celebrating and telling the story of your client without saying, I'm number one. Look at me. I'm so wonderful. But that's implied. Right. So it's almost a, it's 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 the same thing, but with a lot more humility. <laughs> right. No, I was and I was just going to say then testimonials are your third one. And, you know, screenshot those babies. Don't don't put them in Canva and make them beautiful. They're less trustworthy like that. Uh, an ugly screenshot is going to do a lot more for you from a from a trust standpoint. Interesting. Marketing principles. What do you think agents are doing wrong the most? You talk about that a lot, marketing principles, in a lot of the podcasts I've listened to you, but agents are not doing certain things correct. What is the one that you find they do wrong the most? Yeah, I mean, I would say the number one is they focus that, you know, they're they're not focused on creating value. They're not creating, you know, they're, they're, they're just, they're again, look at me. I'm number one. And it's the same old stuff that every other agent is doing. So you just get put in a bucket of, oh, it's just another agent. Noise. It's noise, a hundred percent. And in order to break through that noise, it requires messaging and it requires someone else to be able to say, that's me. And I resonate with that. Otherwise, I mean, there's a reason why Super Bowl commercials make you cry. It's not because, you know, it, it's, it's because that act that, that, like, the, the emotion works. People make decisions emotionally before they make them logically. 
So earlier this year, you were in this little tiny magazine that called Forbes. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of it. Just this little, <laughs> no nothing. They don't do anything with money. Not not a big authority on anything. Little tiny magazine, you know. Little tiny one. Little tiny magazine. I was when I saw that, I was like, wow, you've been in Forbes. That's unbelievable. Uh, the article was called Six Mistakes We Make When Trying to Convert Our Social Followers Into Sales. So to finish today, for the sake of time, I want to run through those. I, yeah, I cool, wanna, cool. I'll, I'll throw them at you and you, you comment on them as you can. So the number one thing you said was don't be an influencer, be an entrepreneur. What do you yeah. mean? So the, the purpose is very different. An entrepreneur, the purpose of it is money. For an influencer, like basically it's money that then, you know, that value will sometimes, you know, be followers. But your primary goal as an entrepreneur isn't actually more followers. It's more relevant people who are going to become raving fans. For an influencer, your your primary objective is more audience, more followers, more engagement, because then you can try to leverage that for some money, right? The goal is very different. Right. Entrepreneurs go about things in order to influence people in the, in the direction of their business. Influencers are just trying to keep people, keep people as many people as possible in their audience. That's a hard thing to learn for a lot of people because I'm even struggling that with myself. It's vanity metrics. Yeah. This podcast, I look at it and go, I want more, more, more. But ultimately what I really need is more agents that can send me business listening to it. That's 100%. Right. Number yeah, two it's was quali- it's quality over quantity. Exactly. Number two is number of followers you have is not the metric that matters. That it's we- not. And and it's the same idea. It ties right back into that. You I would rather have a thousand people who absolutely love me than a hundred thousand people who could take or leave me. Number three, social media should be more like a diary and less like a billboard. So it's more it's really and and that and that that's I don't mean diary as in like, dear diary, you know, I got in a fight with my husband today. Like, I don't mean it like that. I mean more, you know, creating, creating and posting things that are real as opposed to billboards. A lot of the time are we're shouting at people, right? It's, it's here is my message and I, and I want you to see it. Doesn't seem authentic. Exactly. And there's an element of social media that the whole point of it is community connection and conversation. Right. And if you're not in engaging with the people, you're like people feel like they're followers as opposed to part of a community, uh, your business will reflect that. That's all Christoph Chu um, from Beverly Hills speak one time. And he was talking about authenticity and how he felt in video. And he said, yeah, just be yourself. And, and truly, you are who you are. You look the same. You sound the same in video as you do in person. And it's important to come across as authentic. If you seem like you're a newscaster reading a script, it just doesn't work. Nope doesn't work. Number four is how do I get more likes is not the question you should be asking. Well, and again, we call those vanity metrics, right? I don't want, it's not how many, how many, how can I get more likes? It's how can I get more people reaching out to me and saying, Hey, I love your stuff. Let's do business. Right. And it, and we get so caught up in the, it's a social media for most people is a popularity contest, right? If you want more likes, stop posting photos of kitchens and start posting photos of yourself. It's it's a very, very simple transition, right? But at the same time, it's so important to focus on the things that really matter. And a lot of the time, what we forget is we on social media, we have shoppers and sharers. Your sharers are going to be the people who like and comment, share your stuff. And we need those people because they're spreading your message. But the bot, the shoppers, the people who are legitimately going to work with you, they're going to lurk silently. 
you're they're they're going to show up in your inbox unannounced. They're not going to be people who like and comment and share all the time because what they're doing is they're they're quietly doing their research. Sorry, who they want to work with. Exactly. Number five, hashtag should not be the most important part of your post. Agreed. So what what is the number one most important part is going to be your headline. Your headline is going to decide whether or not someone stays and they click more and they read the rest of it or they watch the rest of the video or they just scroll past you. So your headline is really important, but the actual content that you're putting out there is so much more important than your hashtags. If your content is fantastic and you create good quality, valuable, shareable content, your hashtags are, are going to be like a, like a, like a, you may get 5% from your hashtags. The other thing that most agents don't know, which makes them look a little bit like they don't know what they're doing on social media is no hashtags on Facebook. Facebook is not a hashtag driven platform. Hashtags belong on Instagram, but not on Facebook. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Number six, why don't uh, we don't go on social media to like photos? We go to like people. Exactly. So this is super, super important. You know, a lot of agents will fall into the trap of, you know, beautiful photos of, you know, kitchens and bathrooms and staircases and things like that. That's not what people if somebody wants to look at beautiful architecture, they're going to follow Architectural Digest. They're not going to follow an agent. What they're doing is, in, and, and the other thing you have to remember too, is people move every three to seven years. If you're not relevant to these people between the three to seven years and you're only real estate, you're going to have a lot of audience churn and you're not going to have a lot of repeats that come from your social media. So the nurture factor that is available through social media isn't going to be there. So again, that comes back to, are you being a human? Are you connecting with people as a, as a, as a person? And are you giving them a reason to follow you in between their moves? I love guests like yourself who are so passionate about the topic. You're very articulate and getting across these great points and very valuable information we've got today. No doubt you nailed, nailed it today. As we end, if an agent wants to go from five figures to six figures in income or go from six figures to seven figures in income, how do they get involved with the listing labs? How do they get in contact with you and learn what you're, what you can teach them? Yeah. So what I would suggest that you do is join my Facebook group. As a, as a great place to start. It's just the listings lab method for real estate agents. It's facebook.com slash groups slash the listings lab. I'll send that to you so that it can go in show notes. Um, yeah. I mean, in there, we've got about 21,000 agents right now. Um, I put out tr- free trainings and content and guides and there's all kinds of stuff in there. Um, but as well, we do have opportunities at all the time for you to, you know, come have a call with us, see whether or not we're a fit and if we can help. Now, I saw on your website, you had a free toolkit that you could download as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send that to you too. It's just the listingslab.com slash guide. Okay. Anywhere else that anybody can follow you, Instagram or anywhere else? Yeah, Instagram, Instagram works. It's just Jess Linovell. If you can figure out how to spell that, you are good. I'll put that in the, in, the, in the South. It was very hard for me to even pronounce it. You got it though. Uh, spell it. <laughs> well, Jess, I really do appreciate you being with us today and love to have you back sometime again in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to. Waking up in the morning, thinking about so many things. And now to ask Gary Caesar. So there's been a lot of talk in our market about Zillow's abandonment of their iBuyer market. First, MarketWatch reported that in an article, Zillow had offloaded 7,000 houses raising red flags about the real estate market in the future. This was their big headline. And then CNBC came out with another Zillow headline that says it's closing its home buyer business, cutting 25% of workforce earnings misestimate. So is this evidence of a crashing real estate market? 
Probably not when you look at the reason. First thing what we read from CNBC is a statement from Zillow CEO Rich Barton, who said, We determined the unpredictability in forecasting home prices far exceeds what we anticipated. Continuing to scale Zillow offers would result in too much earnings and balance sheet volatility. Barton then said the company realized it's not in position to accurately predict where home prices will be in six months within a narrow margin of error. And then this little gem, we're operating within a labor and supply constrained economy inside a competitive real estate market, especially in the constructions, renovation and closing spaces. This was a statement by Jeremy Waxman, Zillow's operating chief, in the statement he issued this week. We have not been exempt from these market and capacity issues and now have an operational backlog for renovations and closing. So first of all, basically is blaming the supply chain issue that's been killing all of our builders. And if you don't think the supply chain issue is real, just go talk to any builder and they can tell you the lack of the ability to even get paint, uh, tape for the sheetrock and all kind of appliances and fixtures. It is a huge problem that is crippling our economy, the supply chain issues. And it's bigger than having the, the ports open for 24 hours. There's much larger issues than that. But the bigger point to be made with Zillow is their inability to forecast home prices. From the mouth of the CEO himself, he says they are unable to predict prices. I find that to be a remarkable admission, since Zillow's whole claim to fame is their estimate. Which I guess there's a reason, as my friend Matt says, they don't call it as accurate, because it's just an estimate and it's not accurate. So do not fret the collapse of the market, guys, or Zillow's woes, because Zillow will do just fine taking your client referrals and selling them right back to you. They'll have no trouble at all making money. As a bonus to As Gary Sees It, we're going to talk real quickly about Daylight Savings Time, which, as you all know, ended this past week. And I always find it interesting when we spring forward in the summer and you lose an hour of sleep, or if you gain an hour of sleep in the winter, how politicians and people just whine and moan about this and how it needs to go away. Well, food for thought. First of all, if we kept permanent daylight savings time, yes, it would be dark later by an hour in the winter, but then it also wouldn't get light in the morning until about 7.30 or 8, which would seem odd. Now, if we stayed at standard time, which a lot of the world does, that would mean that instead of getting dark at 8.30 during the summer when we're outside playing with our family and enjoying the outdoors, that it would get dark around 7.30, and that doesn't seem very appealing to me either way. But the funniest thing I find about the whole daylight savings time argument is that people whine and moan about this big traumatic change to the body by losing this one hour. I guess these people have never traveled outside of their own state. Because if you're in South Carolina and you've ever driven driven as far as, I don't know, Alabama or Tennessee, you've probably experienced a one-hour time zone change difference, and it didn't ruin your life and make you completely miserable for months in on end. If you've flown to the West Coast, you've actually experienced a three-hour delay, and Lord forbid that you've actually gone to Europe or even Hawaii and had a six-hour or change in time there. What are we to do? Just eliminate time zones altogether? Today, we're all flying and moving all over the country, and this one-hour time change here and there is not the end of the world. It's quite normal. In fact, like I said, if you travel to Alabama from South Carolina and come home, you'll experience a time change there and one coming back, and guess what? Your body just adjusts just fine. It's a bunch of do about nothing and another example of how politicians want to see that they're in touch with the common man. Waking up in the morning, thinking about so many And now to Gary's good news only. So in worldpopulationreview.com's website, they talk about the 10 states with the fastest growing population. Number one was Idaho. Number two, Nevada. Number three, Arizona. Four is Utah. Texas comes in at number five. 
And right there, number six is South Carolina. Growth at 3.81%. Texas was only 3.85%, so we were almost number five. And if you've done any real estate closings in South Carolina during COVID, you'll see a plethora of people moving in from out of state because everybody recognizes South Carolina is a wonderful place to live. According to CNBC, real estate brokers are bracing for a flood of wealthy buyers from overseas as travel restrictions lift. Now, maybe we don't have as many wealthy buyers from overseas looking at South Carolina, but we do have a lot of research and industry here that would bring in these overseas buyers. So that is certainly good news for most of the state of South Carolina. Now, according to Redfin, higher mortgage rates also boosted buyer urgency. And we saw that happening as rates started going up that more and more people were trying to get off the fence and hurry and get in to the market. Now, in coronavirus. Coronavirus! Coronavirus! Yeah, that's my Cardi B. Cases are down 1.4% in the past seven days. Hospitalizations are down 6.7%, and deaths are also down 8.8%. And now, over 80% of the adult population has gotten at least one shot of the vaccine. And as of November 7th, 194 million Americans have been fully vaccinated, which is almost 59%. And the biggest good news and the best good news is last week we had our annual South Carolina Military Family Care Association fundraiser through our Oktoberfest. We had an excellent turnout, and because of your generosity, we were able to raise $13,500 to servicemen for service members in South Carolina who face financial emergencies. And the best thing about the South Carolina Military Family Care Association is that 100 cents of every dollar raised goes to a service member. They have zero overhead. So we're always very happy to work with such a wonderful organization that helps our service members in need. And at that event, we also made a tremendous announcement. Blair Cato is very happy to announce that Kevin Craig and Brew Pender will bring the Craig Law Firm together into Blair Cato and will become owners of the company. As you all may have known, this company's been around for seven years Rex Casterline, Cynthia Blair, and myself have been the owners of Blair Cato, and we're now happy to add Kevin and Brew as owners as well. Kevin will be in our downtown Columbia office, and Brew will be in the Lexington office. So we're very excited to welcome everybody from the Craig Law Firm. And that's our show for this week. I hope everybody enjoyed it and got a lot out of what Jess had to offer. She is one of the uh, most interesting people I've met and has a lot of great advice for real estate agents that just hits Every single time, every single piece of advice she has is always spot on, in my opinion. Appreciate y'all tuning in this week. Hope y'all will like us, subscribe to us, and share the podcast with others, and that you will come back again next week for another show. Hope everybody has a wonderful weekend. Next week, I think we're going to try to tackle property taxes. It's a hard topic. If I don't get it done next week, we'll get it done week after next. Y'all have a good one.